the, th the excuse that we talked about being the one excuse that we all make is, but Lord, I don't have time. See, you didn't need the sermon anyway. Okay, I was given a poem by someone in the congregation, and she said, you know, Mary, I think you're really going to enjoy this. It so fits what you talked about. And so before I go into this week's message, this is my way of reviewing what happened last week. I knelt to pray, but not for long. I had too much to do. I had to hurry and get to work, for bills would soon be due. So I knelt and said a hurried prayer and jumped off, off my knees. My Christian duty was now done. My soul caressed at ease. All day long, I had no time to spread a word of cheer, no time to speak of Christ to friends. They'd laugh at me, I'd fear. Is this, you resonate with this poem? No time, no time, too much to do. That was my constant cry. No time to give to souls in need, but at last the time, the time to die. Then before the Lord was I, I came and stood with downcast eyes, for in his hands God held a book. It was the book of life. God looked into his book and said, Your name I cannot find. I once was going to write it down, but never had the time. Ooh, I read that and I thought, you know, and I'm not going to be the only one stung by this. I'm going to share it with a lot of people. <laughs> because, oh my goodness, do we really not have the time? So that was the first, ex first message was on excuses that we make when God asks us to do something. And if we're going to move from one part of our life into the next part of our life following God's path, we first have to be willing to say yes. I will go. Today, we come to a passage which is the culmination of Moses' role in dealing with Pharaoh. If you were here at the beginning of the service, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh song, I thought, you know, how fun that would be. I love that when we do that in, in VBS in the summertime. And it went Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and I'm not going to go into the ooh, uh stuff, but <laughs> let my people go. Let my people go, over and over and over. The first time that Moses says this is in Exodus 5.1. Let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to make their lives harder. Do you remember the story? They were slaves that were making bricks, and he took away the straw so that it was harder for them to make bricks. And it was so frustrating. And Moses says to God, I love Moses because he has, well, since we're doing Hebrew, he has chutzpah. This is what it says in chapter 5, 22 to 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Can you identify with that? I can. Have, have you ever felt that you said yes to the Lord? To what he asked of you? You followed him as best you can, and then he surprises you? And he disappoints what you think he's going to do. It didn't go the way you thought it would go. Did things sometimes even get worse instead of getting better? I've had that experience. 
It's a tough thing. How do you trust a God that doesn't answer prayer the way you think he should? Why doesn't he answer the prayers I pray the way I think he should answer? They're good prayers. <sighs> Moses thought it was simple. He would say, let my people go. That's what God told him to do. And God would do it. Easy. It's done. That's all Moses signed up for. Let my people go. And they would go. But God had a bigger plan. In Exodus 6.1, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Moses' way, Moses would have gotten the credit. It would have been quick and easy, and no one would have thought much about it. But God's way, God's way, both the Israelites and the Egyptians would have no doubt that it was God who led the way. It was God who delivered the people. The Israelites would be able to see the power of God in a way that their lives would be transformed. They would know he is God. He had shared, my name is I am. They would learn this in a way they never would have if it had been quick and easy. Think of something that you've been praying about. Think of something that you want God to do. Maybe you're praying for healing, for a job, for a tough relationship, for an addiction. Maybe, and we hope you have, you've been praying for the church as we go through this time of transition. If God answered your prayers and my prayers our way, are we sure it would be the right way? Do we know enough to know what the right answers are? Is it about doing what feels good to us or doing what builds God's kingdom? Romans 8.28 is a very well-known verse. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Have you ever quoted that verse? Have you ever said that verse to yourself? It's a, it's a verse of comfort, but there's something that we forget. This is the way we want it to be written. We know that in all things God works for the good of me. Who love, he loves me. It's my good. Right? He works for my good, the way I see good to be. That's not what it says. When I realized that when I was studying scripture, I was, oh my. He works for the good. The good. We, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. Think of times you're certain you have seen God work in your life or someone else's life. Can you see how he worked for the good, even in tough times? I often encourage people when I was a chaplain to draw upon those memories, the times that they could see God's hand so clearly, especially when it was hard to trust what was happening. The next part of Exodus, we have nine plagues that are brought upon 
the people of Egypt because Pharaoh kept saying, no, Lord, no, I won't let the people go. God had warned him, had warned Moses that Pharaoh wouldn't listen, that he was going to do signs and wonders over and over so that they would know the power of God. So can you name them? Okay, that's one. Blood, frogs, flies, locusts, boils, hail, good. I'm sorry? That's later. That's, that's the tenth. Livestock, good, Dan. Two more. Darkness, one more. Pesky little things. Gnats. Doesn't that sound like fun? Would you like to go back and experience that? Ooh. Ugh. When I think of the frogs, that, that one really gets to me when I think about that one. And these plagues progress from being nuisance to eventually being fatal. And along the way, some of them, the, the hail, if you're not in your house, you're going to die. I would not want to see that hailstorm. Now we come to chapter 12, which is where we are today. Verses 1 to 2, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. This is to be the first month of the year. New Year's. New beginning. He is about to deliver the people. And for the Jews today, Passover is the beginning of the new year. Do you remember, please remember, when the new year is for Christian calendar? Thank you! <laughs> Advent is our ritual new year. First Sunday in Advent, I always say Happy New Year, and people look at me and go, what? That for the Jews, Passover is the beginning. Deliverance is the beginning. They were to take a lamb, and it had to be perfect. It's significant that the lamb was not to be sacrificed for one person. The instructions are so clear in chapter 12 that the lamb is to be sacrificed for a household. And if you had too much lamb for your household, you were to invite your neighbors because it wasn't to be wasted. And this lamb was to be sacrificed for that community. Sometimes we forget that God intends us to be in community in everything that we do. And so when Passover is celebrated, it is always commemorated by a group. It's fun in verse 11 of chapter 12. He gives, God gives instructions that they're to eat with their sandals on, dressed, ready to go. They're not to be relaxing. They're to have their sandals on, ready to go. What a neat image. Are we always ready to go? Are we always dressed, ready to head out and do what God calls us to do? Are we going to be like the man who said to Jesus, wait, 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 first I've got to go do this. We're to be ready to go. When I was a chaplain, I was on call during the nights. Those were long nights sometimes. And 
I had, it was a, an expectation that I, I worked at Good Samaritan Hospital, that from the time that pager went off to the time I walked in that door, I had 20 minutes. I lived 15 minutes away. Oh, how was I going to pull that off? It was really icky to think of sleeping in my clothes, but I was dressed and I was ready to go. And I needed to be dressed as a chaplain, not a slob. And that pager would go off. I'd have my shoes ready. I had everything ready in a row because I was going to be half asleep when I woke up, I'm sure. And I had it all planned so that I could go and do what God had called me to do that night. What does it look like to put that into action in the way that we are ready for whatever God is calling us to do? Verse 12 the first part gives directions for painting the blood on the doorframe so the angel of death would pass over the people within. Have you ever thought about that? Why did they need to do that? Why did they need to paint the doorframe? Any thoughts? Would protect so the blood was going to protect them i'm sorry oh thank you thank you did god know who his people were did he know of course he knew it, there didn't need to be blood on the door frame for god to know who to pass over that wasn't necessary but the rest of verse 13 says the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood will be a sign for you, for me. It's something that reminds us that God is working, and it's okay. Even when things are completely out of control, can you picture that night? Can you picture what that must have been like? to hear the screams in the street, to see the panic of the Egyptians. These were slaves. Their masters, firstborns, were dying. To see a force going through Egypt that was killing people. Can you imagine the horror? And they had that painted over their door frame so they would know they were safe. They would know they were in God's hands. The next verses following speak of a ritual to be followed every year to commemorate what God did to deliver them. Our passage that we have today is Moses telling the heads of households that God, what God has revealed to him, preparing them for that horrible night. Then the people bowed down and worshipped, it says, verse 27. The Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Imagine what it was like. Imagine that you need something to look at, to hold on to, to know God has you in his hands. What do you use if you don't have something that you, that you wear, or that you have in front of you, I encourage you, find something meaningful. Find something that you can look at and you go, oh yes, I remember. God's got me. 
Even though the world feels like it's falling apart, God has me. God is there. And his good is the best there is. What then does it take to be delivered from slavery? What does it take? Because there's slavery besides someone owning you. We're enslaved by many, many things. Let me give you a few ideas that I think help us to understand. First, what we talked about last week. Being willing to say yes. Yes, Lord, to whatever he asks of you, no matter how crazy it seems. Obey. That's the first thing. Trusting that God knows what he's doing, even when it seems that his plan is failing. Trust. We obey. We trust. Looking for the ways that God is working in the big picture. The third step then, to see. We obey. We trust. We see. Rejoicing, the people worshiped, rejoicing with gratitude for the new beginnings that God gives us. It was interesting last week, I, I was li listening to the radio, and I don't know how many of you listen to the Christian radio station, but they were sharing stories of times that it was hard. It was hard to see God. And this woman called in, and she said, I went through a time when everything went completely wrong. I'm a strong believer, but at that moment, it was, I, I couldn't feel God. I couldn't see him. And she talked about that her husband left her. Because of that, she lost her home. Because of that, she went into bankruptcy. Her family fell apart. And she said, the dream I had for my life was shattered. And she said, but you know what? Through that experience, I discovered something. When one dream ends, God gives us a new dream. God gives us a new dream. Trust him. Rejoice with gratitude. He's doing something very important in your life. And then finding ways to be reminded, as I have encouraged you already, to remember what God has done. Sometimes I'm teased here because I pay attention to this table. And for me, this table is very special. What does it say on the front? In remembrance of me. The table is here to remind us of what Christ did for us. The candles are here to remind us that he is the light of the world and we are to seek to be the light in the world. They remind us of the Spirit's presence here. The cross in the center says Christ is center of our life. And most of you probably don't pay attention to this, but the tablecloth changes according to the seasons of the church year. When you come next Sunday, unless I forget, it should be purple. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Another ritual that people have crosses that are put with ashes on the forehead to remind us 
of the season of Lent, when we reflect on Christ's suffering for us. Green is to remind us that God is in the common things, the everyday things. One Sunday, it will be red. Only one Sunday of the year. What is that one for? Pentecost. Christmas and Easter, it is white. Advent, it's purple. What does that matter? Does it matter? No. But I love that it's there to remind me. I love that we can look at the table and remember, just have a visual remembrance of who Christ is. What has been done for us. The cross here. Have you ever been into a church without a cross? I have. It's really hard for me. We need to be reminded often of who Christ is and whose we are. To be delivered from slavery. We obey. We trust. We see. We worship. And we remember. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of who you are. Thank you for reminding us that you delivered the people from Egypt thousands of years ago, that you heard their suffering, you saw them, and you loved them, and you brought them out of that slavery. And then, Lord, oh my, how you saw us, still in our sin and loved us so much, you sent your son to bring us out of our own slavery. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Let us respond in gratitude with everything that we see and do. And Lord, as we offer our, our monetary offerings this morning, multiply it. Multiply it so that we can do your work in this kingdom. Lord, we are honored to be here and to serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We can receive the offering, please. Who told the sun where to stand? ocean you can only come this far and who told the moon where to hide till evening whose words alone can catch a falling star Testify 
Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a special opportunity to combine the understanding of Passover and the ritual of Passover with the Christian remembrance of Christ and of the Last Supper. In the Passover, we had slavery in Egypt. For us, there's slavery to sin. In Exodus, the people were delivered from Egypt. We who believe have been delivered from the penalty of sin. The blood of the Passover lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover lamb. Both ceremonies call for continual celebration of what God has done for his people. I would invite the elders forward the passage in 1 Corinthians that is used for celebrating the Lord's Supper, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the Passover meal, the first bread is the reminder of the swiftness of God's deliverance. Many people, if not most, believe that the Last Supper was a Passover celebration. The salvation of the Israelites was so swift that they didn't have time to bake bread. That's why it is unleavened. When we accept that Christ died for us, salvation is immediate. We don't have to earn it, but we give thanks through worship and service, the Israelites were delivered from Egypt because of God's love for them. We remember in this celebration that Christ died out of his love for us. As Christ was leading that Passover meal, it's a tremendously complicated ritual. But when he broke the bread, before, probably before he said, the words that we know as the words of institution, he would have said something like this. This is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. All who are hungry, come and eat. All who are needy, come and celebrate Passover with us. Next year, may we celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Now we are slaves. Next year, may we be truly free. And then he announced that his body would be broken. They didn't have to wait till next year. You don't have to wait until next year or even the next hour. He died for our sins. We are delivered through that. When you receive the bread, just as Passover was celebrated in community, we celebrate the Lord's Supper in community. And we would ask that you would hold the bread, that we would eat it together, remembering God's gift of one another, that we can celebrate Jesus Christ together. Would you pray with me, please? 
Lord God, there is so much that we have to be grateful for. Thank you for the story that is in Exodus that your word tells us how you delivered the people. Lord, thank you that your word reminds us to come together and to celebrate that you have passed over us as well, that you have given us the gift of your son, that we may be truly free as well. Lord, we thank you and we hope to honor you in our celebration of your Lord's Supper. It's in your name we pray. Amen. the body of Christ, take and eat. As Jesus was sharing the Passover meal, 
with his disciples. He chose to share with them about the new covenant with a cup of wine that's consumed after supper. Scripture tells us after supper, he took the cup. In the Passover ritual, that is the third of four cups that are used in the ceremony. It is the cup of blessing and the cup of redemption. And significant that Jesus chose that cup in which to say these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The ritual of Passover at that point has paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, blessing God, praising God, and the specific listing of everything that he has done. It would have taken a very long time. But to help us to share in just a tiny bit of that, I'd like you to repeat something after me. Baruch, Ata, Adonai. Those words, Baruch, Ata, Adonai, means blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who poured out his blood just as the Passover lamb shed blood. Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. And as you take the cup, I invite you to reflect upon that as an individual, that he loves you so much that he gave himself up for you. Blessed be the Lord.
in our passage. Verses 26 to 27 say, And when your children ask you, What does this ceremony mean to you? When your children ask you, when other people ask you, what does this mean to you? Tell them what Jesus did for them. Tell them that when they obey, trust, see, worship, and remember, they have freedom in Jesus Christ who died for them. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, help us to follow you. Help us to see your light and to do what you would have us to do. Lord, deliver us from slavery, whatever that is in our lives. There is freedom in you. The truth of you sets us free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have the opportunity to remember you this day through the hearing of your word and sharing in your supper. May this not be something that ends when we walk out this door. May we bless someone today. Baruch Ata Adonai. Blessed be the Lord.
special need in our congregation and I have a need to draw some people around this couple. Karin and Bob Billingsley, if you would come forward. They did give me permission to do this. I asked them ahead of time. For those of you who don't know the journey that they have been on, Bob has been dealing with cancer for a long time, a very long time. And they have, the news has been discouraging. This is one of those where you go, Lord, why don't you answer prayer our way? And yet you are looking at a couple who trusts God completely, wholly and completely. And this week, they will be leaving us for a while to go to Seattle. They have an apartment, I understand, in Seattle. And Bob will be beginning stem cell transplant treatment. And if you don't know, that's not an easy thing. And it's three to four months, three, three to four months. And during that time, the process, they have to completely destroy Bob's immune system in order to reintroduce then what we hope will be God's cure for this cancer. It's a really tough, tough thing. And I would like to pray for these two, and I would like to invite the elders forward to lay hands on them, and we will anoint Bob. And if you are not coming forward, stretch your hands out to, be, to reach out God's blessing to these two. And let's ask for God's healing, ask for his presence, and then I'm going to ask you, 
to put these two on your personal prayer list, that you be in prayer for them. This is a time for the family of God to draw around them. And they have said this is a place of love for them. Most assuredly. So if I could have the elders come forward. And this is oil from the Holy Land. You guys were in the Holy Land. I bought this in the Holy Land. So it's very special. And Bob, we anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know what, Karin, I'm going to anoint you too. So there. Karin, we anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in prayer for these two, please? Lord God, right now we ask for your spirit, your spirit of healing, to pour within Bob. Lord, that your healing has already begun that will come out of this treatment. Lord, that we will be able to give you the praise and the glory for the miracles that you will do. Lord, we ask for your spirit of presence, to be with these two, that your arms are around their shoulders each moment of each day, that they are never without the sense of you with them. Lord, that you will give them many things that they can see to remind them of your love for them, of your presence with them. Lord, thank you for Bob and Karen and the gift that they are to us. Show us the ways that you would have us minister to them, to remind them of your love and ours as they go through this time. Lord, it's such a privilege to bring these two before you. Lord, we ask for your spirit. Lord, pour it out. Pour it out. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. amen. Thank you. There'll be people in front to pray with you. If you need prayer for yourself, please come forward. This is how we can lift one another up. And remember these two, please. Pray with me if you would, and we will go. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the privilege we have of being your people, your chosen people. Lord, may we not take that lightly. You chose us so that we can bless others. Show us the ways to do this this week that we remember that that's what it's all about. Thank you for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.